This podcast has been developed for financial advisor use and provides general information only and does not take into account any particular individual's objectives, financial situations or needs. BT Investment Talk by BT Investment Solutions is a monthly podcast produced exclusively for Australian financial advisors. Our investment experts, together with some of the world's leading fund managers, will provide thought leadership on a wide range of investment topics. Investment Talk is all about looking beyond the numbers, helping advisors cut through the noise, enabling them to have meaningful investment and portfolio construction conversations with their clients. Hello, I'm Eric Vassiliadis, Regional Manager for BT Investment Solutions, and welcome to this episode of BT Invest Talk. Uh, Today, we're very fortunate enough to be joined by BTIS Head of Asset Allocation, James Kerr. Just before we throw to James, I might just give you a quick introduction to James's history. Uh, James joined BT Investment Solutions in 2007 and was appointed Head of Asset Allocation in December 2017. Uh, He's responsible for delivering on the investment objectives for all of the BTIS diversified portfolios and also leads a diversified portfolio management team. So, James, welcome and thanks for your time today. Thanks, Eric. Pleasure to be here. Good. Really looking forward to our conversation today. So, uh, let's jump into it. Uh, Just as a quick summary uh, for the agenda today, we're hoping to cover a number of uh, items which um, you know, James will touch on, and it has been a fairly interesting month in markets. Uh, given James's mandate, um, we're hoping to have a look at the role and process around the BTIS strategic asset allocation, what changes have been made in recent times, what impact COVID has had in the team's thinking, and, of course, it would be good to hear uh, James's view on sort of what's the medium-term outlook for markets, especially given the expectations around inflation. So just before we do that, James, uh, given you've been part of the team since 2007, can you just give us a quick feel for your time within the business, given you're one of the more long-standing members of the team, uh, and maybe how things have evolved over time? Thanks, Eric. Sure, I'd love to. Um, it, it's been a very uh, evolving uh, business, I would say, BT, over the, the 15 years that I've been with the firm. Um, not least of all, my um, my career has largely evolved with um, the evolution in the way that we've um, managed products. Um, we went from when I first started a very very small team, to be fair, which was uh, a five person multi manager team, and we all literally did a bit of everyone's uh, work across uh, manager selection, strategy, portfolio management, liquidity management, uh, and trading. Um, and through uh, the early 2010s, I think um, we we really started to hit our straps and um, you know, saw a lot of expansion in the business. Um, we started with five multi-asset portfolios. Um, that expanded very rapidly uh, to be around 38 uh, as at um, uh, around 2015. Um, and with that, you know, the team expanded and my focus definitely moved across from uh, being, uh, you know, on the multi-manager uh, uh, manager selection side to a much greater focus on strategy and asset allocation through the years as, um, as particularly that area of the, uh, the, the business grew substantially. 
Wonderful. Thank you, James, for that context. I can say as someone that joined the, time, the team at a similar time to you, um, there's no doubt the team's navigated through many, many cycles. But I can say as a regional manager, it is an exciting time to be part of the business. So I wish you well in your continued, uh, in your continued role and the team. So what I would do, as we do in most of our uh, podcasts, and just provide a little bit of a brief update on the core series portfolios for the September, for the September month, which will then give us some context uh, with respect to what James is going to talk about. So over the month, I can say that all the portfolios did have a negative absolute return, but positive excess returns over the month. Um, There were a number of sort of primary contributors to portfolio outcomes this month. Um, They did include, and I'll number them, uh, one, uh, that market sentiment was reversing with growing concerns about inflation, constrained commodity supply chains, and the looming US debt ceiling. Uh, In aggregate, I can say active strategies added value in both the Australian and international equity space with all underlying equity managers actually outperforming the benchmark. And finally, uh, and the last theme uh, for the month was that we reduced the income portfolio's exposure to the Australian fixed interest uh, space by 5% and increased the allocation to cash by 5%. I should also remind our listeners, and as always, for more detailed attribution and performance reporting, I do encourage you to visit our website, bt.com.au forward slash core series, where you can download the September monthly reports. Now, James, uh, I highlighted that all the portfolios are around their current, I should, sorry, I should highlight that all of our portfolios are around their current long-term strategic asset allocation as well, which of course is an intended segue into our conversation today. Um, can you just remind us, I guess, starting at a high level, um, how does the BTIS strategic asset allocation process work? Uh, when do we review it? And how do we adjust that asset allocation? Sure. So uh, I think first point of call is our, our process uh, is governed by an external board of uh, trustees. So um, we have quite a strong and rigorous governance profile around any changes really that are made from a strategic sense in the portfolio. Um, needless to say, we, we really drive the process um, either on an annual basis uh, formally um, but can also be much more fluent than that um, as uh, either markets or uh, other themes may dictate or term the need for changes through the cycle. Um, when we look at the cranking of the handle, uh, so to speak, our, my team runs uh, internally developed um, capital market forecasts and, and the process around that on a, on a quarterly basis. Um, that combined with our ongoing research in fundamental Uh, views of capital markets and uh, where we think we are in the business cycle um, goes through a process uh, that really highlights whether or not changes are needed to be made. Um, So formally, as I said, we we, we meet and we review uh, the portfolios on an annual basis and present that to the board. That doesn't have to be at the end of any particular quarter. We can, we have, and historically uh, it's been the case we've uh, put through changes um, intra-quarter or intra-year. Um, last year in 2020 was a very good example where what is a, a 10-year forecasted process and really you don't necessarily see a lot of change year-to-year when um, when you're in a steady state uh, of either the current market themes or asset return um, environments. 
Last year was obviously the opposite of a lot of that with the pandemic uh, coming through in the first quarter. We actually put forward um, a, an asset allocation review pre-pandemic, so this was in February. Um, and then we actually followed up with uh, additional changes for a number of our portfolios uh, post um, the recovery in May. Uh, so mid-recovery it would be uh, when we saw a big turn in asset markets um, we saw the, the flood of uh, policy support uh, from central banks and governments to, um, to support the global economy through that pandemic. That changed asset market, uh, the, the asset market outlook quite considerably from where we were at the end of March. And so um, that was actually picked up when we re-ran our capital market assumption process. Um, you know, we could see a, a very significant change in future value uh, across all asset classes, which uh, led us to uh, go back to our boards and, and recommend additional changes in, um, in, in that instance. Sounds very complex. I'm glad that's, that you guys doing that, James. It sounds like you're well and truly on top of it. But I guess you may have touched on uh, my next question slightly, but can you just elaborate on some of the specific maybe changes with respect to SAA in September and and, and maybe some specifics around the impact that changes to capital market assumptions made? Sure. In September, um, one of the big things that um, I can touch on later as well is, you know, the, the outlook for inflation, which you mentioned first up, and uh, how that impact asset markets. Um, notably, fixed income markets at the moment are at record lows, and so uh, we are facing a, a paradigm into the next five years where the, the impetus is for interest rates to rise and yields to rise from here going forward. Uh, and so that proposes a lot of complications for investors, particularly defence investors. And um, one of the big changes that we made in the portfolios, which we, we don't do often, as I said, but um, yeah, this is one of those times where you know, there is a significant um, a risk for uh, achieving those portfolio objectives is the income portfolio. So the, the core series income SMA, where we have a 12-month uh, annual, or a rolling 12-month, I should say, uh, income objective for that fund, which is RBA plus 2.5% uh, in terms of return, to be able to maintain Turn in a uh, in an environment with rising interest rates, um, we've got actually got quite a large exposure to fixed income or traditional fixed income asset classes as a driver of yield for that portfolio. And so, we've had to change our strategic exposure to fixed income uh, in that portfolio specifically, so that uh, the investors are not as uh, exposed to long duration assets uh, as they would normally be. Um, they have had a certain, you know, benefit from being exposed to those types of assets up until now uh, with the fall in the interest rates that we've seen um, over the last five years in particular. Um, but now it's a really a, a different story as we look ahead and uh, what the path of interest rates may be um, going for the next three to five years. And so shifting away from that type of exposure and picking up uh, short dated credit, which uh, resets uh, within the tw within the one to two year period, uh, allows us to reset exposures and increase our running yield on the portfolio as interest rates rise. So a bit of a hedge against rising interest rates, as well as increasing our cash exposure. So providing us op further optionality at some point over the next two to three years to redeploy capital as we see um, investment markets uh, uh, start to behave to a, a rising yield environment and there might be opportunities that will open up on that side. 
Okay, very very good. Thanks for that. And um, I, I know you mentioned COVID the COVID nineteen pandemic in your in your earlier comments, uh, but I'm interested to know how does something like COVID nineteen get built into your thinking? You know, in terms of the assumptions and 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 uh, what sort of timeline this thing plays out. Uh, that's a really good question, I think, Eric, because it really comes down to the heart of whether or not we should be doing something or we did do something um, on the back of it. Uh, one thing to note is coming into 2020, we were in a very interesting position as we look forward pre, pre-COVID. So we saw uh, a forward-looking environment that was actually recovering quite well. So we had uh, growth running up um, near around global averages, around 3.5%. Uh, inflation was still low, so we we're still expecting a low inflationary environment going forward uh, and and growth to be positive, which was going to be really another nirvana period for equities um, in, 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 the, in, in the secular term. So it was quite an opportunistic and a, and a rosy outlook for risk assets at the time. Um, what the COVID uh, pandemic was, was really an externality, a, a shock to the system that came through, which when we look at uh, risk scenarios and stress testing on the portfolio, there's two types of shocks that we focus on. Those that are systemic uh, and internally driven, which we can do something about, which is either valuation driven um, or interest rate driven or financial market driven in terms of the fundamental drivers that we focus our analysis on and how capital markets generally behave towards and and reward or discount um, versus what this was, which was a pure externality, a a pure black swan event. Um, And we've had a couple of those in the past, we know, um, you know, the uh, really, the um, you know the Twin Towers was another great example back in um, two thousand uh, and two when um, you know that was an external that lasted for around about three to four months before markets could really um, behave again. So um, black swans do happen. This was another one that came through. Um, and when uh, we look at the reaction function that we want to perform on our portfolios when these types of pro, um, uh, market shocks occur. It really boils down to two things. One is, has this significantly changed the investment environment that we're facing? Um, And generally, you need some time to be able to work that through. And I think at the moment, we're starting to understand what it may mean going forward. And secondly, what... How quickly does the market recover? Like, what does it? What does the forward-looking environment, from a policy perspective, uh, from a, a reaction perspective, from an investor perspective, um, look like? And that can be measured on a number of ways. One is obviously what we saw last year was a significant um, impact from you know money hitting the system, lower interest rates, and and government spending uh, policies to be able to support um, support the environment, which was a positive trigger. Um, additional uh, areas where we can look at how investors behave around these types of events is when we're looking at volatility or forward-looking at volatility um, that can provide a sense of whether or not there's long-term discounting that uh, a behaviour from investors in the marketplace that would suggest that um, you, know, you need to take uh, a change in views in the way that you're investing. For us, we, we didn't change too much. Um, it provided us some opportunities Um as I mentioned, we went back to our boards a number of times over that period. 
what we did see was, you know, in anything that happens uh, where there is dislocation in markets, that's um, there's value to be had in certain asset classes. Um, definitely equities were, were positive and, and through that time in terms of the outlook for the 10-year um, period. So we didn't decide to cut equities at all. We, we still held onto our equity position. We did up-risk in terms of our fixed income positioning, though, uh, for those investors that are in wholesale funds, uh, we were able to take on more private credit exposure um, as you know, traditional interest rates um, moved through the zero bounds. So, um, you know, we, we, we were able to actively take on selective risk uh, across a number of our funds um, where we saw, you know, the value was prudent at the time. And um, as, a, as a point of uh, uh, interest there for private credit. We've seen private credit markets do 17% um, over the last 12 months. And so you won't always get that, but um, but it was a period of dislocation in markets where we were able to take, um, take action for our investors. Yeah, some interesting comments there. And you raised some interesting themes around dislocation and volatility and hence underlying the importance of having a, a strong investment philosophy that Remains your um, your template during those markets, market, uh, those times of volatility, I should say. So, just to finish off, James, thank you so much for those comments. Uh, just out of interest, uh, could you maybe just highlight the team's sort of medium term outlook as far as markets are concerned? What what are some of the themes we should be focusing on? Yeah, certainly. Look, I think it's it's very clear that the um, the current uh, market environment that we've had, which has been really um, dictated by lower growth, lower inflation, lower volatility. And uh, I mean, if you look at the two, three, four, five-year annual numbers on asset classes, you know, very, very high returns um, for asset classes, um, we could pretty much be confident in saying that that's unlikely to continue. Um, we think uh, investors are now probably facing a period of higher uncertainty and uneven growth in uh, and inflation. Um and with that, we also expect overall capital market returns to be lower than what um, what we've seen over the last five years. Um, it's really an interesting position because it's it's not too dissimilar to a themes we've seen strategists and market uh, investors make over the last sort of ten years in terms of the forecast of ever lower returns going forward. I think one of the um, precursors to actually now might actually look like a time where that may occur is the fact that we now have rates at, at the levels that they're at, whereas if we fall back uh, three to five years ago, you know, interest rates were two to three percentage points higher than where they were now and, and policy stimulus was in a much different position to where it is now having largely been expended. So, so that's what we're looking forward into. Um, a couple of the challenges uh, over the secular period are definitely going to be around, you know, what impacts further technology advancements may have, um, the impacts of climate change that we're seeing now and that what, what that may do uh, over the next 10 years, I think, will be a substantial impact on the way that we approach investing and, uh, and living in general. Um, and as well as one of the big uh, areas of concern and of focus, I think, politically is going to be the global leadership uh, that uh, the world may see shift 
over the next five to ten years as um, as the US-China rivalry starts to unfold further. That in and of itself, I think, will lend to two key things, which I think we haven't seen in the past five to seven years, is the return of active management and alpha um, with higher levels of macro volatility, um, economic volatility, and asset class uh, valuation dispersions. We tend to see that type of environment favours active management in certain areas. Wonderful. Uh, Sounds like you've got a very good grasp of it. So, James, thank you for your time today. That's all we have time for. Um, We uh, wish you and the team continued success as uh, we navigate through markets uh, in the lead-up to the calendar year. Thank you. And uh, to those listeners, thank you again for listening and giving us uh, part of your time. If you'd like more information on our solutions, you can head to our website, as always, at bt.com.au forward slash BTIS. Next month, I should highlight, we're looking forward to speaking with portfolio analyst Adam Deering with a focus being on equities. As always, if you have any questions or feedback, please do not hesitate to reach out. Thank you and goodbye.